saying this on tape. She hit me last night for no reason. For her. Firefox's movie bomb. I mean, it, it, it does beg the question, what has gone wrong with young Hollywood? Honest to God, what is the problem? Juicy sweatsuits, doing lines in the restroom. All y'all dressed to impress. Hello and welcome back for another episode of Late Do You Remember This, where we look back on all the stories from Hollywood's best worst century, the early 2000s. A time in history when America found out that with a trust fund, a sex tape, and a dream, you too could become a star. As always, I'm your host, Dara Lane. Two episodes ago, we talked with guest Gabby Conti about the mental health issues of both Brittany and Lindsay. Much of their bad behavior can be at least partially attributed to an emotional breakdown and addiction issues. This week, we'll discuss two different stories in which other celebrities blamed their bad behavior on the same problems. Is a breakdown or substance abuse an excuse for committing an amoral offense? And how long must someone atone for these sins before they are absolved? And does everyone and their damaged hair deserve a comeback? These are all the questions we'll touch upon in this episode entitled Stranger Things, the story of Winona Ryder's comeback, and also the story of how weird it is that Mel Gibson was allowed to be in Daddy's Home too. Alternative title, Girl Interrupted, the story of Winona Ryder, and also the story of the female cop who was interrupted by Mel Gibson when he called her sugar tits. We'll begin with Winona's story that dates us back to December 12, 2001, almost three months to the day after 9-11. As Alex Papadimus of GQ put it, historians will remember it as the first major celebrity bad behavior story of the post-9-11 era, a sign that it was okay for us as a society, to be preoccupied with stupid bullshit again. Perhaps that is true for some, but I think that sells a lot of people too short. I have long taken pride in my ability to have enough extra legroom in my brain to preoccupy myself with both stupid bullshit and important bullshit. So on to the stupid bullshit that has many shades of important bullshit as it relates to how we treat women and those suffering from mental illness and or addiction issues. Okay? On this day in December, Winona stepped into Saks Fifth Avenue in Beverly Hills carrying a large bag. On the surveillance cameras, security noticed Winona walking through the store, putting different items inside of it. She went into a dressing room and cut off security tags with a pair of scissors. As she attempted to leave, she was apprehended. When they searched her bag, they found several items including a pharmacy's worth of painkillers and other meds, a cashmere Marc Jacobs sweater worth $760, various Frederick Fakai hair adornments worth about $600, and several pairs of socks, including a cashmere pair from Donna Karen worth $80. The grand total came out to $5,560. Let's be real. This was a lady who wanted to get caught. And also, I'm guessing a very amateur thief. It's understandable. All those formative years when you're supposed to learn petty shoplifting techniques, she was busy acting in Lucas and Great Balls of Fire. I personally have never shoplifted, but even I know the ropes. One, never steal CDs from strawberries. You won't get away with it. Two, if you're stealing a thong from the store Rave in the mall, take a bunch of clothes into the dressing room with you, hiding the thong between items. 
put on the thong over your own underwear, put your pants back on, leave the store quickly, and go to the candy store for a baby bottle pop to toast your victory. And for more brazen and experienced shoplifters, hit up a JCPenney. Go to the rack of returns that are waiting to be retagged and put back on the shelves. Take a pair of flare corduroy hip huggers, plus a couple of other items. Put on the cords in the dressing room, put your old raggedy pants back on the hanger, then light up a cigarette as you walk your smug ass out the mall like your blue cantrell. But if you just want to get caught, bring a pair of crafting shears from home and try to get away with pilfering cashmere from a sax. During the trial, Winona's defense team first tried to make the case that Winona didn't know that she was stealing, that she just thought that her assistant would come back to pay for it. A security guard testified that after they had caught her, she told them she was just doing research for a role. So far, this is sounding like Jody Arias trying to get out of trouble. And the trial was a spectacle of Arias proportions, with people scrutinizing Winona's appearance just like they did Jody's. If you can imagine, in 2001, tabloids were ruthless in their judgment of the way women looked, something we never have to worry about today. Here's one story put out by the Drudge Report on October 30th, 2002, during her trial. Winona Ryder had trouble with her briefs at a Los Angeles court today. The Hollywood star turned up for her shoplifting trial in a see-through potty dress, shocking witnesses. Let the evidence show. Ryder presented to jurors how her bra is black and her panties are white. The see-through caused a complete commotion inside of the courtroom, with one lawyer staring transfixed at Ryder's brazier. What was she thinking, asked one observer. Judge Judy would have ordered her home to change into more appropriate court attire. The judgment of her taste wasn't limited to the media. At one point during the trial, her defense picked up one of the hair clips she stole, waved it over her head, and exclaimed, Can you even imagine her wearing this? Apparently that rock-solid argument didn't work, because after the jury deliberated for one day, they found Winona guilty of two of the three felony counts against her. During her sentencing, the judge let Winona have it, saying, quote, you have disappointed many people who have been entertained and inspired by your talent, Judge Eldon Fox told her. He went on to say that he had been unable to explain to his 16-year-old son, Ryan, why someone who earns so much should shoplift. You are the only person that's going to be able to answer my son's question. Please. God, someone explain this to Ryan. Does this judge require all of his guilty defendants to explain to Ryan why they did what they did, or is it just Winona? Poor Ryan must be so delicate and simple that he requires a personal sit-down or handwritten letter detailing the thought process behind every non-violent criminal's transgressions. He gets home from a hard day at Harvard-Westlake, fixes himself a glass of milk, and pours over the many personal apology letters trying to understand why good people do bad things. Why a rich woman who wants for nothing could steal things she doesn't need from a high-end department store. Why, Ryan, why? Well, probably because she needed help. After she broke her arm on the set of Adam Sandler's Mr. Deeds, she started taking pain medication, which, sidebar, what a film to get a low-key pill addiction over. She had been over-medicating herself, as she put it, for about three weeks. On top of it, she was run down from a lifetime of fame and scrutiny. As she puts it, psychologically, I must have been at a place where I just wanted to stop. 
she said. I won't get into what happened, but it wasn't what people think. And it wasn't like the crime of the century, but it allowed me time that I really needed. After she got 36 months probation and 408 hours of community service, Winona went to San Francisco and did some soul searching. Eventually, she tried to get back into the business, but had a slow go of it for a while. Another fallen star that has spent time trying to earn or weasel his way back into show business is famed anti-Semite Mel Gibson. One hot July evening in 2006, Mel Gibson was pulled over as he sped down the Pacific Coast Highway. As officers arrested him, Mel said to the male officer, Jews are responsible for all the wars in the world, before asking him, Are you a Jew? And to the female officer, What do you think you're looking at, sugar tits? But this, of course, pales in comparison to things he said on tape to his now ex-girlfriend, Oksana Grigorieva. Trigger warnings ahead for literal cuckoo banana racist sexist uh, terrible, terrible language. You look like a fucking bitch on heat. And if you get raped by a pack of it'll be your fault. Alright? Because you provoked it, you are provocatively dressed all the time with your fake boobs you feel you have to show off tight outfits and tight pants and stuff. You see your pussy from behind. And that green thing today was enough. That's provocative. Okay? I'm telling you. I'm just telling you the truth. I don't like it. I don't want that woman. Also caught on tape was Oksana saying, what kind of man is that who would hit a woman when she's holding a child in her hands, hitting her twice in the face? To which he replies, So why do I make the comparison between Mel and Winona? Well, after over a decade, both have made a comeback. Winona on Stranger Things and Mel in Daddy's Home too. Mel likes to complain about how hard it was for him to be accepted again, how unfair it was. But though Mel's comeback didn't stick for a while with the public, he was given many chances by his peers in Hollywood. Remember the fucking beaver? That was in 2011 barely five years after his DUI, and a mere year after being caught on tape saying racist and sexist things to his wife, not to mention committing the crime of domestic assault. Winona, on the other hand, wasn't given many legitimate opportunities besides a small part in Black Swan and a voice role in Frankenweenie. Her big comeback didn't come for about 15 years after her indiscretion. Why was Mel afforded so many opportunities to make a comeback happen while Winona wasn't? Oh, I think think you know. But what really annoys me about the difference between the two of their stories is while Winona went away for a bit to collect herself and reflect on her life and then come back to Hollywood with a sense of humility, Mel came back with a chip on his shoulder, as if he had been owed this the whole time. On The Graham Norton Show, he compares the last 10 years trying to become relevant again to digging ditches, which he says with a sort of manic bitterness. Or maybe everything he says with that mangy beard of his sounds manic and bitter. On Variety's Playback podcast, he says, Ten years have elapsed. This is an old story, my friend. Old. I've forgotten it. I've forgiven. Now, whether I've been forgiven... Not for, for you what? to say. Yeah. For what, really? For getting loaded and saying some stupid stuff that people put on microphone? I apologize for it. Mm -hmm. Has the apology been accepted? I don't know, but that's not my job. I made it. Uh, ten years have gone by. I'm feeling good. I'm much better. 
sober, all that kind of stuff. And for me, it's a dim thing in the past. But others bring it up, which kind of I find annoying because I don't understand why, after 10 years, it's any kind of issue. Um, surely, if I was really what they say I was, some kind of hater, you know, um, there'd be evidence of actions somewhere. There never has been. I've never discriminated against anyone or done anything that sort of supports that reputation, you know? And for one episode in the back of a police car on eight double tequilas to sort of dictate all the work, life's work and beliefs and everything else that I have and maintain for my life is really unfair. But some people talk, you know, they took it upon themselves to sort of have a crucifixion. So there you go. Well, it's so unfair. And of course, he makes no mention of all the things he said and did to his ex-girlfriend. But great, you're sober now. Though was alcohol really to blame for all of this? I don't believe that alcohol makes you a racist. You mean to tell me all those thoughts that he has when he's hammered don't exist when he's sober? He says there's no actions of his prejudice outside this incident, though there's plenty of interviews where he has more awful things to say, particularly about gay people. There's also evidence in his movie, Passion of the Christ, that many people considered to be anti-Semitic. There's also the fact that his father is an outspoken Holocaust denier. If we have learned anything from South Pacific, it is you have to be carefully taught to be prejudiced from your terrible, terrible parents. And I submit my final piece of evidence, a little anecdote about Mel Gibson from Winona Ryder from an interview with GQ in 2010. I remember like 15 years ago, I was at one of those big Hollywood parties and he was really drunk. I was with my friend who's gay. He made a really horrible gay joke and somehow it came up that I was Jewish. He said something about oven dodgers, but I didn't get it. I'd never heard that before. It was just this weird, weird moment. I was like, he's anti-Semitic and he's homophobic. No one believed me. We believe you, Winona. And we're, we're ready, ready for, for you. you. Like, do You Remember This is researched, written, narrated, and edited by me, Dara Lane. Please subscribe on iTunes and leave a rating and review. You can follow the pod on Instagram and iTunes. And please, if you like the podcast, share it. Tell your friends. It's true what they say. It takes a village to make me famous. If you have any questions, comments, or show suggestions, please email this at gmail.com. So you're invited to come back next week. We've got a table, and I've put you on the list for Lady Do You Remember This. It's time to crack the old.